Amen. Isaiah chapter 54 and verse number 1, if you have it, say amen. The Bible says, Sing, O barren, that thou didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, that thou didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Now this next verse is very peculiar. Because although they have no children... God tells them to prepare for what's about to happen. And so the next few verses are preparation for promise. Verse number two, enlarge the place of thy tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes for thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left. And thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and shall make the desolate cities to be inhabited. For the next few moments, with the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to preach to you on this subject, the Feast of Prophecy. Would you set your Bibles down and would you lift your hands? And would you just ask that God would minister to us in the remainder of this service? His presence is already here, but I want us to prepare our hearts for what he's about to do. Come on, lift your voices, East Wind, and let's call upon the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, I love you. I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for what you're about to do in this house. I submit my will and my motives and my agenda unto you. And I pray, God, that you would have me to say only what you would have to be said in this service. I pray for your kingdom to come and for your will to be done in this place exactly as it is in heaven right now, God. Lord, I pray right now that we would take dominion over anything that would be a hindrance against this service. We pray that you would confirm this word with signs following. Lord, I pray right now that you would loose the gifts of the Spirit and that, Lord, we would have a demonstration of the Holy Ghost. I believe you're going to do a great work in this house. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. If you believe God's about to do a great work, would you give him a great praise and expectation? Amen. 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 Praise God. Please be seated in Jesus' name. There are three major feasts in Israel. We have the Passover feast, the feast of Pentecost, known throughout scripture of many different names, the feast of weeks, the feast of first fruits and others. And then you have what would be called the feast of tabernacles. And the feast of Passover is something that is very important to what we celebrate here today. Because the Passover started when the children of Israel were in bondage in Israel, I mean in Egypt. And while they were in bondage in Egypt, the Lord comes to them and he says to kill a lamb. This lamb would have to be a male lamb. It would have to be out without spot and without blemish. It had to be perfect. He told them, he said to kill this lamb and to take the blood of this lamb and to put it on the doorpost. He said, put it on each side. He said, and put it on the top. He told them that you are to consume and eat this lamb and that there should be nothing left over. And that if you have any leftover from your home, you are to give it to your neighbor because all of the lamb had to be consumed. And this Passover 
takes place. And as they are preparing for this Passover moment of which the death angel would pass over every home in Egypt. And only those that had the blood applied to their home would the Passover not take the firstborn and kill the firstborn. This is a very important feast in Israel. And the Lord tells his people, he says, before any of it though, he said, put your shoes on, get your garments ready, because once this angel passes over, it won't be long before you make your way out of here. It's a beautiful testimony because in fact, in this Passover, after that they have partaken of the lamb, God completely restarts the calendar for the children of Israel. And this Passover lamb is a beautiful type and shadow of what would become Jesus Christ, the ultimate and final lamb slain. Jesus is that lamb. And I love that he said, you've got to get the lamb in you. Because when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, that's you getting Christ in you. Jesus said, I am the door. And they entered into this door that had the blood over the doorpost, type and shadowing the day that you would be baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is you getting into Christ. The apostles said that we are buried with him in baptism. You've got to be in Jesus today as well. And all of this is a beautiful shadowing of the day that, that they would exit out of their bondage. Egypt is type and shadow of the world. And as they are coming out of the world, the Bible says, the apostle writes to us in 1 Corinthians, he says that they were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now this is also a beautiful shadowing of what we would know as Jesus tells Nicodemus uh, that you are to be born again of the water, that's the Red Sea, and the spirit, that is the cloud. And the only way that you are going to get in New Testament covenant is if you have Christ in you and if you are in Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I will be in you, you will be in me, and we will be in the Father. The only way to get Jesus in you is through what the Bible teaches us. You must lift your hands, as Peter said, repent of your sins. And as you are repenting of your sins, you shall be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in a new tongue. And the Passover leads us through the Exodus and they exit out of Egypt and now they are in the wilderness. And 50 days from Passover until they come to Sinai. And this is the first of what you would see as a type of Pentecost. Pentecost was given on Mount Sinai. It was the Lord that reached down by his finger, the Bible says. This is anthropomorphic language. It's us putting God into what humans can understand. By the finger of God, or better said, by the Spirit of God. He reached down and he wrote the law on tablets of stone. But Jeremiah teaches us that he would no longer write it on tablets of stone. That by his Spirit, he would write it 
now on the tablets of heart. And it was on the day of Pentecost that God wrote his law on the heart of man. And it is that that the apostle writes to us that the glory of this house, what we are a part of today, will be greater than the glory of the former house. Because we are a part of something that is always increasing, that is always getting better, that is always growing. Amen. And so Mount Sinai is the first representation of what we call Pentecost. It was on the day of Pentecost. We just celebrated it a few weeks ago that God poured out his spirit upon all flesh. It started in an upper room, yes, but it went from 120 in an upper room to 3,000, then to 5,000. And it wasn't long after that that the Bible declares that these are those which have turned their city upside or their world upside down. I'm here today to preach to you that Pentecost and the pouring out of God's spirit was not just for the chosen few in an upper room but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel saith God in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh whether you're black whether you're white whether you're brown it doesn't matter who you are whether you're rich whether you're poor whether you're talented whether you're not talented it doesn't matter what status you have in life the spirit of God is for everyone John chapter 4 verse number 24 says God is a spirit you can call that spirit father you can call that spirit son or you can call that spirit Holy Ghost but the fact of the matter is there is one Lord and his name is Jesus and the day he poured out his spirit it was not the portion of a Godhead coming to man it was God coming to us to fill us with his spirit God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. If you're full of the Holy Ghost and you know the truth, you are a true worshiper. And the Father is seeking such to worship him. And today... Even though it is not the day of Pentecost, we get to celebrate a Pentecostal experience because it wasn't limited to an upper room. What I love about Eastwind is we experience Pentecost every service around here. Whether you're in the 8.30 service, the 10.30 service, or next week at the 6.30 service, or you're listening to Bishop on Wednesday night Bible study, or at any breakout class that you're in, at any moment, God's Spirit is allowed to interrupt our services, mess up our schedule, and He's allowed to give us a Pentecostal moment, because the Spirit of Pentecost is not just for one weekend, and it's not just for one set of group of people it's for everybody and if you're in this room you ought to be able to experience Pentecost I thank God to be a part of a church where we can experience Pentecost on Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday Saturday Sunday no matter what day it is 
Hey, you can experience Pentecost in your home. Might I remind you, uh, when everything was shut down, uh, we had preachers preaching to us from a camera. They were leading us in repentance, uh, and people were receiving the Holy Ghost uh, where they live. Uh, you can receive it if you're watching online right now, and you've never received the Holy Ghost, uh, because God's Spirit uh, is not limited to location or locale. Uh, it can break out of walls. Uh, it can break out of cameras. Uh, it can go to where you're at. Hey, if you're at home doing your daily devotion, I'm thankful to know that the Spirit of God can come in on my devotion and give me a well, maybe some of y'all don't have a daily devotion, but for those of us that kneel down and pray to God every day, there's nothing like when I bow my knee and I call upon the Lord of glory on a Monday morning and I feel a Pentecostal experience get all over me. It'll consume your devotion. It'll make you a better husband. It'll make you a better father. It'll make you a better business owner. It'll make you a better man. It'll make you a better woman. It'll make you a better son or a better daughter. There's nothing like a Pentecostal experience. And I thank God that Pentecost is not limited to one weekend out of the year. But every day we get up, we can enjoy Pentecost. The Spirit of God moving, moving upon people. Moving upon the lost, moving upon the saved. I thank God that His Spirit is still being poured out. I'm telling you, it was just a few weeks ago we were in Cincinnati doing the crusade. And I believe somewhere around 48 was the final number that came in that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Friends, that's Pentecost. 36 people retestified to a notable miracle. Friends, that's Pentecost. Oh yeah, somewhere around 15 or 16, I don't remember the final number, was baptized in the name of Jesus. Friends, that's Pentecost. A few weeks ago, my wife and I had the great opportunity to preach Maine Youth Convention. And on a Friday night, the Spirit of the Lord began to move all through that service. And I asked the youth president, I said, I want you to pick me out a young lady that you know is prayed up and has a call of God on her life. She's about to speak the word of faith. A young lady that's never spoken the word of faith or stood behind a pulpit to declare the word of faith before. Walked up on the platform. I told her what to say. She grabbed a hold of that mic. And under the unction and the spirit of God, she spoke the word of faith for anybody that needed a miracle. And in that very moment, a lady that was born deaf and her husband translated for her. Right there in that moment, God opened that deaf ear and seek and hear now friends that's Pentecost it'll grab a hold of a 17 year old it'll grab a hold of a 30 year old it'll grab a hold of a 50 year old it'll change a life no matter how young or how old they are that is Pentecost 
in that same service, the, the former youth president's son, he's 12 years old. He was backing me up all week long. I mean, he would beat on the platform and he would be to preach on preacher. And I loved it. And he was just, and he told me, he said, I'm called to be a preacher. He's 12 years old. I called that young man up. I made a declaration. I said, anybody in this room need the Holy Ghost? And this little 12 year old young man walked up to this platform in the boldness of the spirit, grabbed a hold of that mic and said, upon the authority of the word of God and the power that's in the name of Jesus, I command you to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And nine students were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Can I preach to you? There's nothing like a Pentecostal experience. There's nothing like a service when the spirit of God begins to move. It'll change your family. It'll rewrite the diagnosis. It'll change it all because that's what we're a part of. You're in a Pentecostal church where the Spirit of God is allowed to move. It's allowed to break open. It's allowed to take over a service. There's nothing like Pentecost. Oh, hallelujah. There's nothing like Pentecost. A few weeks ago, a few months ago, in British Columbia, Canada. And I don't know if I told this story here or not, but if I have, I'm going to tell it again. I got to experience a gate beautiful miracle. There was a young man there who was lame in his feet. He had cast on. He had just gotten back from a specialist that Thursday. This was service that Saturday night. He had cast on his feet. He came to the altar and I saw him standing there and the Lord spoke to me and said, tell him if he will commit those feet to spread the gospel all the days of his life, I will heal him today. I walked right down to him. I said, do you promise to commit those feet if God heals them today to spread the gospel all the days of your life? He said, I do. I said, lift your hands, laid my hand on his head, commanded those bones to come right. And immediately he was healed. He took those cast off and he started dancing and shouting all around the sanctuary. Friends, Pentecost cost isn't over. I feel like I'm preaching to somebody right now that's doubting the power of God here today. I feel like I'm preaching maybe to a visitor that's never experienced the Holy Ghost. I'm here today to tell you without doubt, with every fiber of my being, Pentecost is real. The Spirit of God can change a life. The Spirit of God can heal a body. The Spirit of God can heal a mind. The Spirit of God God can change you forever. There's nothing like the power of God. And in between the Feast of Pentecost and what we know as the Feast of Tabernacles, and I checked with Bishop before church. I just wanted to make sure that I was doctrinally sound. The Feast of Tabernacles is that which is type and shadow of the taking away of the bride of Christ. He's going to come and he's going to wrap it up with his church. He's going to come and we'll be wrapped. That's what the Feast of Tabernacles represents. So you have the Feast of Pentecost and there are some other little feasts in between there. But in this book that I was reading to try to study on these feasts, this, this author, Kevin J. Connor, he writes, it's just a tiny little paragraph in the middle of it all. He said that there is an agreement amongst scholars that in between the Feast of Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles, that there is a feast called the Feast of Prophecy. And I was wondering, okay, what, and I kept reading. He said, the Feast of Prophecy is this. He said, in between Pentecost and Tabernacles, it is typically a dry season. 
And there's nothing really great happening in that time. He said, so between the pouring out of God's spirit, when God is doing it, and the rapturing of the church. He was talking about this season. And this season is called the Feast of Prophecy. Because when nothing good is happening in the present, you have to feast on what's to come. I'm going to preach doubt off of somebody for just a minute. The Lord has sent me with an encouraging word on a Sunday morning to tell somebody whose family is falling apart, to tell somebody whose marriage is under attack. Your finances have been broken down, but nevertheless, God told you that daughter's going to pray through, that son's going to get the Holy Ghost, and you've got a word from God, and you're somewhere between the word and the promise coming to pass. I'm here today to tell you when nothing good is happening in your life that's when you got to feast on the word of the Lord that's when you've got to encourage yourself because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word and I'm here to tell you when the spirit isn't moving in your prayer closet God's still true when nothing good seems to be happening God's still real when everything seems like can't go wrong it's going wrong we still got a savior we still got a king we still have a I feel like preaching doubt. I feel like preaching worry. I feel like preaching anxiety off of somebody here today. Whether or not it has or hasn't happened, God's not a liar. It's just time to feast on the word of the Lord. It's time to take hold under the word of God. Bible says he gives Abraham a promise. Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. I will establish your name forever. You will be a great man, a mighty man. And this is what he tells Abraham. So he establishes the word, but God declares the end from the beginning and then works from beginning to end. I'm going to mess up your stage just a little bit. Let me come over here and grab this. Sorry, whosoever chair this is, I'm going to borrow it for just a second. So this is what God does. You're here on start line, and God says, here's the promise. But then God goes, because God is not in time, right? God is above time. He is omnipresent. We like to put God in time, but God is not in time. He is above it. God just is. In the beginning, God. If you can get in the beginning, God, everything else just starts to make sense. But if you put in the beginning anything else, your life will be chaos, confusion, and you'll end up with all these people that don't know if you're a man or if you're a woman or if you're up or if you're down or who this and who that. In the beginning, God. And if you start with God in the origins, the end always makes sense. And so God brings you here. And he says, Abram, this is what's going to happen. And he tells you the end from the beginning. And God is also in the end with the fulfillment of the promise. God said, I believe it's found, I gave it to you, Genesis 17, 21. He comes to Abraham and he tells him, I've given you a set time. By my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this. Someone shall set time. In the next year. So this is what God does. He comes to you in the beginning. And he declares the promise. But the promise is not now. The promise is over here. At a set time. 
And so now your job is to work from the beginning to the end while seeing the end from the beginning. And this process right here is called preparation. Preparation for the promise. Prove it to me, preacher. I'd love to. John chapter 14. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would not have told you. So watch. This is the process of preparation. Jesus says, I won't leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So there's Pentecost. He will pour out his spirit. But between the pouring out of his spirit and the rapturing of the church, we are in the stage called preparation. And so that's where Abraham was at. He had the promise given in the beginning, and then he had to work from beginning to end. And so Abraham is here looking at the word in the end and now has to walk through preparation. And somewhere between here and there, Abraham gets a wise idea because Sarah comes to him and says, why don't you try to have a kid with Hagar? But the issue with Hagar is she is an Egyptian slave to Abraham. And the word of the Lord said in the New Testament, we are not children from the bondwoman. We are children from the what? Free woman. And so if we are children from the free woman, the promise cannot be fulfilled through bondage. Hagar was in bondage. Sarah was free. But this caused a question in the process. Because this proved that Abraham wasn't the issue. Sarah was the issue. Sarah was barren and couldn't have a kid unless the Lord intervened. And so this is what a lot of us do when we're in the process. We bypass preparation to get the promise quicker than what God intended for us to get it. Sarah represents the church of the Most High God. Hagar represents false doctrine because she is the spirit of the bondwoman. Can I preach to somebody here today that's in the process? I felt this strong in prayer today. You cannot forsake the bride of Christ in the process of preparation. There's only one free woman, and it is the one God, apostolic, tongue-talking church. I'll give you another example. Elijah is getting ready to call fire down from heaven. He says to the false prophets of Baal, he says, we'll both get a bullock. It was the same bullock. They both got the same bullock, but only one was answered by fire. The sacrifice of other churches may look the same, but there's only one church in the entire world that has the fire. And that's the church that will look at you in spite of the world and say, except you are born again of water and of spirit, you can't enter into the kingdom unless you're baptized in the name of Jesus, filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. With the evidence of speaking in a new tongue, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Can I preach to you today? It's not time to quit on the church. It's not time to throw in the towel. It's not time to give up. Don't bypass the preparation on your way to promise. Don't give up now. We're too late in the game for you to quit now. And so we all know 
The Bible says, I gave this to the media team, I believe, in Genesis 17 and 8. It says that Abraham was a stranger on all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So watch. Abraham was willing to be a stranger so that the next generation could dwell in promise. Look at Genesis 37 and 1. The Bible says that Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger. In the land of Canaan. Abraham was called a stranger in this land. But Jacob was called a resident in the land that Abraham was willing to be a stranger. Can I preach to somebody who's first generation in the church and you're here all by yourself and your mama's not coming to church and your daddy's not coming to church and nobody else in your family believes truth and you feel like a stranger in a strange land? You're preparing the way for your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids to call this place home. Don't stop being a stranger because it gets difficult. Don't throw in the towel because it's hard right now. It's worth the journey to get to the promise. Someone shout, faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by what? The Word of God. So faith is the only thing that has the ability to reach into the future and make what's futuristic present. The Bible says that when the worlds were framed, God looked at darkness, chaos, and void and spoke to what wasn't and made it what is. And so when you allow yourself to keep holding on to the Word and you keep quoting the Word and you keep quoting that promise, faith begins to build and the promise gets a little closer. And before you know it, you'll be quoting your promise. You'll be quoting your promise. You'll be quoting your promise. And the next thing you know, where nothing was, now it will be because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word I'm here to preach to somebody I know it looks bleak now but if you don't throw in the towel it won't be long before you're holding on to promise hey Joseph I'm going to give you a promise here's your coat it's going to signify you're your daddy's favorite here's a dream of all the sheets bowing to you Here's the dream of the sun, the moon, and the stars paying homage to you. But Joseph, I'm going to give you the promise, and then I'm going to start you here. And somewhere between promise and given word is a process. I'm here to preach to somebody in the process. Because while Joseph knew what God told him, he now had to go into a pit. And while he's in the pit, he had to hold on to promise. And then, Joseph, you're going to be sold into slavery by your brothers. But while you're in slavery, don't let go of the promise. Because you're one step closer. 
But if you lose sight of the promise, uh, and, and the Bible says that God favored Joseph all along the way. Even when you're in the pit and you're in slavery and everything's going wrong, it's better to be in slavery with the hand of God on your life uh, than it is uh, to be out living like you want to uh, without his favor. I'm here today to tell you the process uh, is worth uh, the promise. Joe, you're in the pit, and now you're in slavery. Why don't you forsake God? Because I got my eyes on a promise. And then he goes from slavery. He gets lied on, and he steps into the prison. But while he's in the prison, there's a butler and a baker who need a dream interpreted. And if old Joe ever let go of the promise, he wouldn't have been able to be a witness in the prison. Job said, I came out of the valley of the shadow of death so that I could be a light to those that are going to go into it. You might be in the darkest point of your life, but if you hold on to the promise, the Bible said about Job that God blessed the latter end of his life greater than the former, and that when he died, he died being old and full of days. Can I tell you, there'll be more days than there is night. There'll be more light than there is darkness there'll be more good than there is bad there'll be more ups than there and Joseph interprets the dream and baby doll while he's interpreting the dream he feels like the butler and the baker forget about him all the while he held on to promise Because if you forsake the process, you void the promise. And there's somebody here today who is in the process of being made for a promise. And whether you know it or not, every time you held on when it wasn't easy, every time the doctor gave you the bad news, your family told you you're crazy, your brothers and your sisters said you don't know what you're doing, every time you went into that place and you felt like there was no hope, but you just kept on praying in silence, there's a promise on my life. There's a promise on my life. God said he was going to do it. God said he was going to fulfill it. God said it was going to come to pass. You might be in the prison. You might be in the pit. You might be in Potiphar's house. But no matter where you're at, you better keep your eyes on what's important. Because what's important is the promises of God. And if you'll hold on, one day the king is going to call you up. And when he calls you up, he's going to change your robe. He's going to give you command in the kingdom. Come on, somebody. I know you're in the valley of the shadow of death, but don't start fearing evil. God is with you. Come on, lift your hands. The Spirit of the Lord is in this room right now. Come on, lift your voice. Come on, really lift your voice. Come on, really lift your voice. 
Come on, Dad. You're making room for another generation. Come on, young man. You're about to grab a hold of a promise. Come on, ma'am. I know the doctor said it, but if God said it, he'll trump the diagnosis. He'll, my Lord. When everything else is going wrong, you got to grab a hold onto the word of God because the grass may wither and the flower may fade, but God's word, God's word, heaven and earth might pass away, but God's word. Come on, lift your voice. The Holy Ghost is ministering to a broken heart right now. Come on, I'm preaching to a family today. I don't know why I feel this like I feel it, but there's a family in this AM service that said you were going to quit. I'm telling you now's not the time to quit. I'm preaching to a husband and a wife who's about to sign the divorce papers. I'm telling you it's not time to throw in the towel. I'm preaching to somebody who's about to bypass the process. You're also going to miss the promise. You got to feast on the word of the Lord. It shall come to pass. It shall come to pass. It Say, I'm, I'm done. Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died. These all died in faith. Not having received the promises, but they saw them afar off. And they were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. I'm here to preach to somebody who's been believing for a long time. And you haven't seen the promise except for the day that it was spoken to you. And it was afar off. I'm here to preach a persuasion back into you. I'm here to preach persuasion of the church and of the promises of God back into an elder, back into a family, back into somebody. You've got to be persuaded. You may have only saw it once, but if God said it, friend, I feel a holy boldness coming over me right now. I said, if God said it, friend, I said, if God said it, friend, if God, my Lord, I don't know why I feel like repeating myself, but somebody needs to remember that if God said it, in spite of everything, we are persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor trial, nor tribulation, nor persecution can separate me. You can't strip me away from the love of God. Even in the prison, God's still good. Even in the valley. Oh, something's about to break right now. Be persuaded. I said be persuaded. Be When you leave here, you better be persuaded. It's going to happen. I'm going to see it. It'll come to pass.
Come on. Come on. Get persuaded. Lift your hands and lift your voice and let heaven know I am persuaded. Come on, lift that voice. Come on, lift that voice. Come on, sir. Come on, ma'am. Press beyond the doubt. Press beyond the tribulation. Press beyond the persecution. Press beyond the doctor's diagnosis. Press beyond. I said it's going to come to pass. I said you're going to see it. Come on, you're making a road that the next generation can walk down right now. You may not even realize it, but the road you're willing to endure becomes a path for the next generation to be called home in a land that you were a stranger. You might feel like you're all alone, but when you're all alone, God's making a path for the next generation. Come on, lift your voice. Lift your voice. If you're in this room right now, if you're in this room right now, and you've been struggling with doubt, you've been struggling with fear, you've been struggling with anxiety, you've allowed quit to cross your mind. I want you to make your way down to this altar right now. There's more people that need to come. I'm feeling it. I'm telling you, I'm I'm contending for people right now. There's a few more people that need to make your way to this altar. Come on, you've never received the Holy Ghost like you just heard it preached about today. It's time for you to get the Lamb living on the inside and for you to be in the Lamb. And the only way to do it is to be baptized in the name of Jesus and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Come on, there's a few more. Come on, there's a few more. You've let the promise slip. Come on, but you're getting back in the season of preparation because when the promise comes to pass, you're going to be like Joseph. You'll be able to interpret what nobody else can interpret. You'll be able to see what nobody else can see. You'll provide for a generation that would have died if it wasn't for the fact you held on. You held on. You held on. Come on, that's it. That's it. There's a few more. When you get to this altar, I want you to lift those hands. You let those tears stream down your face. You let that hurt and that heartache. Let God reach down and take it out of your life. Come on. Let the tears of the trial run down your face. Let the agony and the anguish of the journey that you've been on. Let heaven see those tears. He's about to give you an oil of joy right now. Come on, beauty's about to replace ashes. I said beauty's about to replace ashes. A garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. You will leave here persuaded. You will leave here convinced. Come on, lift that voice. Let the t- It's all right. Be vulnerable in his presence. Let the hurt run down your face. Groan unto God right now.
Come on. Lift your hands, sir. Lift your hands, ma'am. Right now, I want you to let out those things that have caused hurt in your life. Come on. I know the journey's been hard, but you're about to be refocused on the promise. There's some folks that need to just groan in this house. Come on, get it over with. Get the cry out. Come on, tell God, I'm upset because you put me in the pit. I'm tired because you put me in the prison. Let it out. It's all right. God's going to give you strength right now. Come on. Come on, cry unto him. Cry unto him. Come on, Hannah. You need to be willing to cry right now. You need to be willing to fall on your face and provoke God. The Bible says she prayed. The Bible says she prayed until God gave her her promise. You ought to let the tears run down your face. This is a word for somebody in this room. I feel this in the Holy Ghost right now. The Bible said that Hannah was provoked by the other wife to her husband. And it was through the provoking that it drove her to an altar. And she wept on that altar until the priest said, go thy way. Thy petition has been granted. You've been wondering why you've been provoked. You were provoked because it's sending you to promise. And you need to let a groaning out right now because promise is on the other side. I said you need to let a cry out right now. You didn't understand why you were persecuted and why you were lied on I'm telling you it's for promise it's for promise needs to lift your hands and speak Jesus right now. Come on, speak Jesus right now. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of the Lord. I don't know why I feel this like I feel it, but somebody needs to get vulnerable in the presence of God right now. You've kept your brave face on. God is here. Take off the facade and weep.
sin a little deeper. Come on, there's a sweet anointing in this place right now. If your hands are not lifted, I want you to lift them. If your hands are not lifted, I want you to lift them. I want you to close your eyes. I don't want you looking around. And I want you to release a sound out of your belly right now that's going to flow. There's a groaning that's trying to be released in this house right now. Come on. Come on. Come on. There it is. Come on. Come on. There's a release trying to come out of you. Let the bitterness go. I said let the bitterness go. Let it out. Come on, that root of bitterness is going to be replaced right now. Let the offense go. Stop being offended. He told you it was going to happen. He said, be not offended. I told you it was going to happen. Let the offense go. Forgive those so that you might be forgiven. It's all a part of the process. Come on, Joseph. Are you going to be able to say at the end of it all what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. Had it not been for the journey, you wouldn't have been ready for the promise. Come on. Groanings which cannot be uttered. Jesus in the street, Jesus in the darkness, over every enemy, Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus, Jesus Oh, oh, oh. 
today and you have never been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. You've never been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. I need my ministers to raise your hands for me. Brother Derek, we got Brother Derek. If you have never been baptized in the name of the Lord, Brother Derek is standing right here. Hear me. Nowhere in Scripture was anybody baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I can give you multiple places in Scripture where they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter said, the man that was given the keys of the kingdom, he said to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Nowhere in Scripture was anybody baptized as a child. That is a doctrine that was made by the Catholic Church so that they could get uh, converts earlier on. The true doctrine is that once you get to the age of understanding of what sin is, you are to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ by submersion. Nowhere in Scripture was anybody baptized in sprinkling. The word baptism in Scripture means baptismo. It is fully submerged. Nowhere do they bury a dead body by just sprinkling a little dirt on him. When you go into the watery grave, you go in and everything about the old man passes away. The Bible says you are buried with Christ in baptism. And when you come up out of the water, all of your past is behind you. Everything is dead. And you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. If you've never been baptized, go to Brother Derek right now. We have robes, we have a changing room, and we have warm water. I command you, just like Peter did, be baptized in the name of Jesus. This is the day of salvation. Don't leave here until you're in covenant and you're rapture ready. I want them to sing it one more time. We shout, Jesus from the mountain. Jesus in the street. Jesus in the valley. 